This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Yesterday was a bit of a milestone for us here on the show because it marked nine years of being on the air, of coming to you weekly, featuring interviews with theologians, authors, clergy, religious, and engaged laity from around the Catholic world. And so today, I wanted to do a little bit of a retrospective, looking back over the last nine years and evaluating it, talking about it, and maybe unpacking it a little bit. And retrospectives have really been a part of this show in some way since the very beginning. The show the title, Outside the Walls, was crowdsourced. One of one of uh, my listeners in Tulsa came up with the idea and gave me the name. And the more I sat with it and contextualized it, the more I really liked that idea. And this is why. Uh, and if you've listened to the show from the beginning, you've probably heard this one or two times. Outside the Walls stems from two um, complementary ideas. The first is that when Pope Francis was first elected, he talked about needing to be a church that goes outside, that goes into the streets and to the margins, even though it's risky and even though there is danger going outside, uh, outside of our sanctuaries, outside of the safe places that we've constructed for ourselves, even though there's danger and risk, it is central to our identity as Christians to be evangelists, central to our identity to be those who go out and love, because love is not a thing we do internally. Love, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, is to will the good of the other. And in order to will the good of the other, we have to be face-to-face with the other. So that's the first idea, that we, as central to our Christian identity, are called to go out. We have to be a missional church. The second idea is related to it, but sometimes seen maybe in opposition to it, is that we have to be a church that is firmly grounded in our history. And this is related to Outside the Walls because of the beautiful station church in Rome, St. Paul Outside the Walls, the Basilica. And around the top of that basilica are mosaics of every pope from, uh, from Peter until Pope Francis today. And there is a sense of the uh, the progression of history and the unity of that history, even in all of the various faces and, and persons that have held that office. And so, for me, the idea of Outside the Walls has always been about being both external, being missional, but also being firmly rooted and grounded in our history. This is why each week we have an interview with someone about a topic that relates to the faith. And we also have readings from scripture and church history, hopefully to contextualize the conversation we've had within the framework of a larger connection uh, to our faith. Now, maybe some weeks I've done that more successfully than others, but that's the reason and the idea behind always having that reading connecting to, in some way, the conversation that we've had. So, here we are today, uh, looking back at nine years, and I know that we just now had an episode 
with my darling bride because we came back and talked about our experience in Rome and the communion of saints, which you can find over on our, our website, outsidethewalls.com, together with all of our archives. But um, because I wanted to talk about something that really is more internal and not exploring a topic with an expert outside, I have decided that I'm going to invite my darling bride back to talk with us again. Kristen, thank you for being in studio uh, and putting up with all of my um, uh, my harebrained ideas. <laughs> Absolutely love. Hello, everyone, again. So uh, you have recently been to St. Paul Outside the Walls. It was yes. your first time to go there. Uh, I know we just had the episode on Rome, but do you have any specific impressions of that particular place that you'd like to share before we get into the rest of it? Sure. Um, well, I mean, like many of the churches in Rome, specifically the station churches, they're humongous. <laughs> so, you know, you walk in and there's just, you look up and you have to look up, 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 continually looking up. And then there's so much to look at. Um, mm-hmm. And specifically at this one, like you had just described, all of the, these mosaics of the popes. And it's interesting because, you know, when the church was built, there are several of them in a similar style, but you can see where they started adding and how the style changes a little bit. They're all similar, but there are differences. Um, and it is, I mean, it's, you know, you hear the number of popes that there have been, but then to see that and realize on the one hand, like it's filling up this humongous building. On the other hand, that's not that many people. Right. <laughs> like, and so, yeah, that definitely stood out. And then of course, the St. Paul, the actual St. Paul is buried there. And that was significant and profound as well. One of the interesting things we hear about um, stained glass windows all of the time, mm-hmm. uh, but at St. Paul outside the walls, all the windows are alabaster really thinly that cut was beautiful alabaster yeah I've, I've, i have had a fascination with alabaster just i think honestly because in our protestant days there was that song about <laughs> alabaster jar and of course hearkening back to uh saint mary magdalene or at least who some believe she was breaking the jar of perfume on our lord's feet um but yeah so i've always had kind of a fascination with alabaster to, so to see it thinly sliced so much that light could come through it, but not a ton of light, but mm-hmm. some. Um, yeah, I'd never seen anything like that. One to think like alabaster uh, is typically thought of as so precious, and with, of course, the disciples talking about this as well, that even that small jar of alabaster was seen as, why would you why would you break that open? So valuable. Yeah. And yet here are these like, massive <laughs> sheets of it all over all of these windows. As, figure, how do they get sheets? I mean, I guess, I don't know how alabaster is in the wild. It's, it's rock. But, it's, yeah, it's just yeah, stone. So just, and, and, in, and in some way, this is, again, in that architecture and in that, that beautiful church, is an offering to God that is extravagant in and of itself in that mm-hmm. way as well. Yeah. So I wanted to talk today about looking back because it's, I think, a, really a theological practice that does us a, a world of good. And we, we do this not only as we read the church fathers and read scripture to try and contextualize and understand our current environment, but there are other practices as well. For instance, we're about to enter into the season of Advent. Uh, and then we'll go and we'll have Christmas and then we'll do the season of Lent. And all of these liturgical seasons in some way involve us 
looking back at what has gone before so that we can understand, so that we can grow, so that we can anticipate what's coming ahead. Uh, in particular with, with Advent, we start out actually finishing up Christ the King Sunday, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the King of the universe, and then immediately talking about the eschaton. Those first two weeks of Advent are looking towards uh, his final coming. And then those last two weeks of Advent, then we focus in on the incarnation. Uh, But I think back to, and of course, you and I both spent time in Protestantism. I think back to the days without a liturgical calendar, when that Mm. wasn't the central focus, um, how different it felt when we didn't maybe have the option to to have those seasons of remembrance. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I, it, it was such a significant difference and it, it, it is still, you know, looking back, I know in the churches that I grew up in, there were often um, like sermon series mm-hmm. portions, you know, they would kind of create like, this is what we're going to be doing for this next two months or something. Um, but, you know, it was all at the behest of the pastor, like whatever they wanted to focus on in that time. And so they kind of would you know, bring the congregation along of what they wanted to emphasize throughout the year. Um, but to have that predictable, but you still, you walk through the stories of Christ. It's not just, um, you know, this topic, that topic, and kind of jumping all over the place. It's specifically with Advent and with Lent. I love those seasons so much, and specifically in Lent and Holy Week. But but Advent too. And, you know, growing up, I did, we did a kind of Advent my um my family we would like you know we had an advent wreath and we would light the candles and we would go through a little book or something that my dad had written for the season so advent was not necessarily a new concept the idea of it being um something that everybody did mm-hmm. was a new concept well, here's what's interesting to me i grew up in a semi liturgical tradition mm-hmm. and we as a church did advent um but so much so that in my personal family, we we lit the Advent candle on Sundays because mm. that's what we do at, at church, right? And that, in those liturgical contexts, we light it on Sundays. And so my whole whole experience of uh, of that season was a, a weekly observation. Interesting. And not you know your family lit them every night. We and did. Went we did it every thing. night. Yeah. And it is kind of interesting that the idea of Advent has sort of leaked out into popular culture now, which uh, this is probably way off topic, but, um, but the idea, you know, there's all these like themed Advent calendars that basically is no more than a countdown from December 1st to the 25th. Like, which that's is all not even, is. which is not even Advent. People. Come on. If you're going to do an Advent candle, do, I mean, uh, calendar, do the whole thing. Right. Uh, so, I will say that if any of y'all uh, are, are wanting to get me one of those whiskey Advent calendars, I would not, <laughs> I would not complain. I'm uh, in jest, in jest. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the sermon series and I think back to my own days after I, was out on my own and was also involved in those, those churches that did sermon series. Um, how often they tended towards the, uh, 
the pastoral letters, right? Mm-hmm. So the epistles, yeah. uh, the instructional things rather than the narrative things. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, you know, in all of my years, I don't recall ever hearing out of the minor prophets. Hmm. Maybe you'd hear from Isaiah every once in a while. Isaiah came up sometimes, yeah. but more as like a reference, like, oh, Isaiah said this thing and that speaks to this other thing that we're really going right. to talk about today. And so uh, it's interesting to me how much of the retrospective and the looking back gets lost when everything about the faith is merely what instruction can we gain from this? Mm. Um, and so t- even looking at our, our lectionary in the Catholic Church, each week there's an Old Testament reading mm-hmm. uh, and a psalm and an epistle and a gospel. And all of those things in some way uh, are tied together. Mm-hmm. So when we hear a reading that's really weird at, at Mass, we can know that in some way it's going to be connected to the other readings and can maybe provide some context and insight for us. Mm-hmm. And that's, This is just a beautiful way of going through Scripture in general, because there are a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense until you see where they're fulfilled in the New Testament or or expounded on, or even just like, hey, the church says, pay attention to these two things. They actually are related. And you can think about that a little bit further. I was in the car um, taking our, our daughter to school the other day. And I don't even remember what the phrase was, but um, she she looked at me and said, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it was a phrase that had been translated. Right. Mm. Um, and so I was reminded of this story back in, uh, in college where a friend of mine decided they really liked the phrase rock on this will age me and you will know how old that I am. They liked the phrase rock on. And so they wanted to learn it in German. And so they, you know, went, went and it was like, that could go badly. It could, it could go badly. They, they went and learned uh, the words rock on in German, uh, which is Steinauf, which means rock on top of stone on top of and and completely loses the idiom. Of Lost it. in translation. Uh, and then she she didn't quite understand. And I said, well, let's talk about raining cats and dogs, which has absolutely mm-hmm. nothing to do with cats and dogs. And so often we we approach scripture as if the words that are on the page are going to make absolute perfect sense to me. Uh, and so, you know, I don't so I can need to read it. And I don't need these clear. other things to, to provide context. And it's just not the case. I mean, the no. best the best translations are always still going to miss something. And a lot of times we're not dealing with the best translations. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having um, those those other things to bring context and help understand, uh, I think, is important. It is. It's it really, it's essential because like those phrases, you know, someone hearing them outside of that time, outside of that culture would have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And I'm sure and I, those are all throughout scripture. And so yeah. to be able to actually understand more fully, even if it's you kind of get it, but like you really get it mm. after getting those contextual clues. So I got us a little bit off topic. Let's go back <laughs> to this, this idea of looking back as a preparation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you to go back in your mind to those times before... Uh, you were in this liturgical setting. Okay. How has your experience of the celebration, Mm. be it Christmas, be it Easter, be it whatever it is, how are those 
improved or enhanced by now the preparation season that comes before that, mm-hmm. that, that retrospective and looking back, the looking back to the incarnation to anticipate the, the second coming, the looking mm-hmm. back to the passion to understand the resurrection. Yeah. Um, oh, it has made it so much more fulfilling, you know, having these seasons and how, you know, both Advent and let Lent can feel long, specifically Lent sometimes. Um, but that time where the church is having you focus on one or the other and prepping for it just, it gives you time to breathe in a very grounded way. So it's not just your relaxation (laughs) beforehand, um, but just this almost (laughs) forced time to contemplate and to experience and even to be able to refocus Mm -hmm. where specifically for Advent coming up to Christmas, I mean, December for families (laughs) and for everyone is busy. There's concerts and parties and all of this stuff happening. And let's throw in a spirit week at the end for no apparent reason at school. Um, But so there's all this stuff going on. Well, for you at three different schools, at three different schools. And I don't have ugly Christmas sweaters to send my children to school in, you know, so you've got all of these things going on and it can be so easy. And it, I would say as before I became Catholic as a younger person, I didn't have quite as much going on as far as, you know, it was me. Like I was a teenager. I had to think about me. And in college, it was mostly just me. And, you know, like it wasn't as busy in that way, although there was still some bit of that. But like now, if there wasn't that time to prepare, I mean, Christmas would smack me in the face and be over before I knew it. And there would be so much doing that there wouldn't be any breathing room or experiencing or remembering why we're doing any of this in the first place and what's really important. Well, and with Christmas specifically, um, there's, there's the Christmas letdown that, Mm -hmm. that happens. Typically you spend so much time, planning for and wrapping the presents and hyping the presents up. And then like in 10 minutes it's done. And then there's mm-hmm. like, is, is that it? Right. And if you don't have that time to, to ground yourself in the celebration of Christmas beyond the, the practice of opening presents, mm-hmm. then, then it could be a real uh, smack in the face. Yeah. And you know, it feels that way. Like that week, you know, between Christmas and New Year's, I remember growing up, like it used to be that week of like, you'd have no idea what day it is. You have no idea what's going on. You're off of school. Christmas is over. What do we do with ourselves? It's not time for New Year's yet. Like, and we always, I think we go skiing in that week because it was like, it was the week that we could um, all be together and do that. But, um, and I will say now, you know, we, we try our best to, during Advent, we allow seasonal Christmas music mm-hmm. and Advent music. So specifically songs that are not talking about the birth of Christ yet, that are, um, you know, those preparation songs, those O Come Divine Messiah, O Come, O Come Emmanuel, all of those things we play in our house. But then starting on Christmas Day is when all of the hymns start. That's when all, well, I mean, those are hymns too, but like <laughs> all of the Christ has come and joy to the world and all of these 
songs that talk about Christ actually being there, they start on the 25th and we try to keep them going. And I would say in our society, it's difficult to keep the 12 days of Christmas going, but we really try. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, we have like, we try to have a carol sing party during the season of Christmas um, with some of our friends. And we, you know, we try to do things that continually bring Christmas back in, even though society that by that point has completely moved on. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's completely different and having the time to be able to do that. And that week where you still don't know what day it is between Christmas and new year's. Um, but to have that be focused on the birth of Christ and not on, well, what's next new year's yeah. coming, you know? Well, there's so many feast days in that little week too. Oh, so many. Yeah. You could do all kinds of things. Like if you bake for feast days, you could, <laughs> you could be doing all sorts of stuff. There's another example that I have of looking back to look forward. And that's involved in the Psalms. Um, so many of the Psalms are uh, are laments, are saying, look at the situation around us. How can this be? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? <clears throat> so many of those Psalms, somewhere in the middle, will take some time for retrospective. Hmm. We'll say, you know, you, you were faithful to my ancestors, or they'll recount the creation story and talk about God's goodness and God's power in creation. And we'll do that as a means to maybe reset their own emotions and say, um, this, this will come again, right? Mm -hmm. God was faithful before God will be faithful again. Uh, And so even in these uh, hymns of lament, none of them are without hope. Mm-hmm. All of them have some sense of, I don't see anything of God's goodness now, but I remember that I have seen God's goodness or I have been told of God's goodness such that uh, it's going to be okay. And I can hold on a little bit longer with that hope that what was will be again. We see that in the psalmist, but you and I have also experienced that over the really even over the course of the nine years that we've been here on the show. I would say almost especially a course across these particular nine years. Yeah. Yeah, we have. <laughs> and so describe a little bit about what, what that retrospective does for you. Currently or well, during has. the difficult. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> but even to even to now, because we can look back on those times where we mm-hmm. made it through and say, "Ah, see, look yes. at the end of that." That's that- true. Yes, so it, it does linger. It's not <laughs> over <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the last nine years we have been through quite a bit mm-hmm. as a family, and um, have really. I I see that the Lord has changed us as people. And I really didn't even um, identify that until like last year sometime when our priest was having us like figure out, you know, your, your story. How can you use your story to help other people? And, you know, growing up as someone who was in a Christian home and, you know, accepted Christ when I was four years old with the sinner's prayer and, you know, all that stuff. Like I have grown up in the church 
forever. And so, you know, I heard those testimonies of people. I was in a bad way and I was at rock bottom and Jesus saved me and turned my life around. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to have one of those stories, you know, and I guess I should be thankful. <laughs> um, but to be able to look at these last years and see, no, like Jesus changed my life and in ways that I did not expect at all. Um, but I look back on and I am so thankful mm-hmm. for the changes that have taken place, even though they took place throughout their own crucibles mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and difficulty. Um, so I don't know how specific we want to get. <laughs> but. Well, so I, I'm, I want to drill into that specific phrase because that's not a phrase we often hear in the Catholic Church and even the priest okay. who is... Uh, who is bringing that up? Um, it was part of a program called Evangelical Catholic. Mm. Um, he he even acknowledged that this is not necessarily language that we're particularly used to or maybe comfortable with in in the church. But um, with as much specificity as you feel comfortable sharing, <laughs> yes. Can you can you talk about what you mean by that phrase that that Jesus? radically changed your life in the context of a, of a Catholic understanding? Sure. So, um, I mean, for me, it going through an event that was kind of foisted upon us mm-hmm. um, of betrayal yeah, um, and walking through that and learning what it was, what boundaries really were, um, which I didn't really have a good understanding of before. Which is funny because your dad was a counselor. I but, you know. know. And he was all about those books. <laughs> he had so many of them on his shelves. Um, but so learning boundaries, learning what I needed to be able to be a functioning person maybe um and what i needed to do to be able to protect myself and our family emotionally as well um from this situation and so i think that uh, going through that beginning portion of it um it really started to help me see and understand well not I, i will not say understand to see and acknowledge the stories of others that are going through um, difficult, but even like lifelong difficult obstacles and, um, and starting to have sympathy and understanding for them, Mm -hmm. which is something that like, I didn't realize I was missing. Um, I didn't realize that I had these biases and these um, understandings of how I looked at the world that were wrong. And so being able to look at other people going through difficult things and experiencing things that are completely not their fault, but that they are struggling with and overcoming, um, having sympathy for them, starting to understand and see in society at large, how many people are going through those same things and realizing that there are things that we need to think about differently. And specifically in terms of, discerning uh, injustice Mm -hmm. and as Christians speaking to that injustice and, and, and making a difference through our faith in those matters, entering into those places with others Mm -hmm. so that they're not alone. Right. And really in understanding that 
the, the scripture talks so much about mercy and justice and that yeah. those are not opposites. We're talking today about retrospectives, about looking back to make a difference in the future. We're doing that in a number of ways, but particularly because this is the ninth anniversary show of Outside the Walls being on the air. Come and uh, be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And if you've been around for a while, share your favorite episode with us there. And don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're marking nine years of being on air today, doing a little bit of a retrospective, looking back uh, to look forward. So far, we've been talking about the idea of retrospective, the idea of how that helps us move forward. Uh, But I want to do really some specific retrospective here on the show. Um, for me, this has been uh, just a, a really fascinating journey. And of course, I'll, I'll tell the story again. Um, but I was approached back in 2014 with the idea of doing a show, and I was really not at all that enthusiastic about it. Um, I, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I had a lot to do. I, uh, I was a, a parent, a full-time parent, full-time uh, working at the chancery there in the Diocese of Tulsa. And uh, we just had our fifth baby, just had our fifth baby at that point. I did not really feel like I had the time to pull it off. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then the the two guys uh, who came and asked me to be a part of that show, they were in their meeting with the bishop uh, and he was asking, of course, they wanted to get permission from him before they put things on air, anything on air. Uh, And so they were talking with him to get his, his permission and he asked what kinds of things they were hoping to do outside of the traditional EWTN content. And so they, they brought up uh, a few things, including my name saying that they had talked to me and wanted, uh, wanted me to do a thing. And he thought that was a fantastic idea. (laughs) So that was, that was a little bit of pressure. Um, Of course, these two guys came and asked me because they had both sat through my pre-Cana class and knew that I could talk if I had the opportunity. (laughs) Um, And so then I, there was pressure. I didn't feel a hundred percent comfortable with it yet, but you can't just say Bishop thought it was a great idea. No, I I don't agree with him. So (laughs) I went and talked to the other very important person in my life. And I don't even remember the conversation. Uh, but I wonder if you, I mean, it's, it's Um, been a long time. I mean, I remember you brought it to me and said basically all the things you just said. And usually when that kind of thing happened and be like, Oh yeah, I see that maybe we shouldn't you know or whatever but i remember that day that was not what i said it was not (laughs) and i brought it to you specifically because i knew that you were going to shut it down (laughs) and i wouldn't have to do it i don't remember if it was right then or if it was like well maybe we should think about it and then oh it was right then it was right well i the, the maybe we should think about it was definitely right then but then the idea somehow at some point i got the sense that maybe it would be important for our lives going 
forward in some way or another. I had no idea how, because it's like you weren't getting paid for it or anything. It was just an extra thing, which, yeah, I mean, you were very busy. So adding an extra thing and me being open to you having an extra thing was unexpected. Mm. But yeah, and I, it did certainly play a part in how our lives proceeded from that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say on more than one occasion. Yeah. Uh, that the people that I've gotten to meet and talk to, the ideas that I've been able to listen to and process through have just been uh, incredible for me individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope for you too, as you've been, as you've been listening. Um, I think back to when I first started, because I'd had some experience in radio from college as a DJ, as like spinning <laughs> records. Um, and so, you know, I kind of knew what I was doing. And, I, and we had a family friend who had had a syndicated show in the Protestant market for a long time. So I I knew what I was doing. I knew how to talk to, pe- to people. So I got the basic equipment I needed and I sat down. And I tell you what, those first eight shows were so hard. They were. They were almost impossible because um, I do really well when I have someone to discuss with or bounce off of. And so here I am having to talk really without an outline because you know me. Um, <laughs> outline smelling. <laughs> uh, to talk on a, on a specific individual topic for a certain amount of time um, without seeing people's facial expressions or without right because you were in a room by yourself yes like at the chancery at first at least you know and like after people had gone home (laughs) like yeah you were alone and so i think it was like maybe episode eight or maybe 14 somewhere really early on that we had sister Teresa alethea come on and then a little while after that then we had uh, Marcellino D'Ambrosio come on. And I was thinking at the time that that would be a uh, every once in a while kind of thing that we had a guest on. And it became really obvious that those shows were so much more enjoyable for me, mm-hmm. uh, so much uh, more productive for me, and hopefully more enjoyable for you as well, because you get to listen to other people's ideas. <laughs> and all I have to do is come up with um, with questions that normal normally you wouldn't hear, right? I come <laughs> right. up with creative questions to throw the interviewee off their game so that they have to answer outside of their prepared answers, right? That's that's all it takes. <laughs> right. Well, and multiple people that you've interviewed have come back and said, you know, this was different, but, <laughs> but different in a good way. Um, I'm just like, this was not the way I thought this conversation would go when I really yeah. enjoyed being able to express the things I did today. Yeah. So, um, that that's been my experience of it this whole time. And it's been really formative for me because, you know, you and I came into the church in 2011. I started with this radio show in November of 2014. Yeah. We were still newbies. I was, I was a, I was a newbie, um, but I've been able to engage with, uh, you know, professors and bishops and priests who have a lifetime of formation mm-hmm. who have been able to then offer that, over the radio waves and and I get to be a conduit and a participant in that formation. And it's been just really very enriching. And all of those episodes, uh, I think we're um, over 450 Mm -hmm. episodes 
Uh, they're all available over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You could, if you were so inclined, go back and listen to those first eight episodes that were really, <laughs> really rough. I encourage only doing that in small doses and only to be able to appreciate more <laughs> where, what the show where is we are today. Um, and, you know, the format's changed a couple of times. We've mm-hmm. moved the the readings to the end instead of at the beginning. We're trying to get into the the um the engaging conversations earlier on uh and so it's changed over the years and yet it's always been ultimately about growing in faith either faith formation or contextualization or uh, evangelization and discipleship right that's mm-hmm. been kind of my my big thrust and aim uh, and my goal is always to do that in a way that defies categorization or, or, um, or the buzzwords, right? Mm-hmm. Because typically, uh, we are so influenced by our cultural dichotomy of conservative versus liberal, mm-hmm. right? Like even when I w- was growing up in the Protestant tradition, that was applied pretty thoroughly to to our religious context as well. So because I could say, oh well, that person is liberal. I don't have to listen to them then. It was Mm -hmm. a big jolt for me when I became Catholic because I had spent all of my Protestant years looking at social justice or the social doctrine of the church as something that only liberals do. And then Mm. Pope Benedict started talking about these things. And I'm like, well, I guess I can't just dismiss it anymore. I have to actually pay attention to that. And so my goal has always been to, um, to challenge everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. So to listen to one week someone talk about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the next week to hear someone talk about bringing an end to abortion, and the next week hearing someone talk about uh, social justice. Mm-hmm. A- and to look at that in the line of our Catholicism, if it isn't making us uncomfortable, at least some of the time, <laughs> we're probably molding it to fit ourselves. Right? Yeah. Well, that's so beautiful because it really, it again speaks to some of how we have changed as well of, you know, it's very easy to say every single human being has dignity and importance, but, you know, but then we have those biases of like, oh, well, I don't have to listen to that because blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> Is that the technical term? That's the technical term. <laughs> um but so to, I, I hope that for listeners as well, being able to, if you can hear the truth that someone that you may not expect is saying, mm-hmm. and then be able to see a little bit more of the humanity in them. And we start hopefully being able to see everyone as being full of dignity simply because Christ made them and Christ loves them. So do you have, because you have listened to most of the shows, yeah. do you have uh, an example of an episode that did that for you? I Yeah. So thinking back over the years, there have been several where there's these little nuggets of wonderfulness, you know, <laughs> that, that stand out in one way or another. Um, but yeah, when you asked me that question, I was trying to remember, and it was back in um, March of 2021, mm-hmm. and you had on um, Louis Damani Jones, and he was talking about kind of what I was just saying a couple seconds ago, the idea of what do we owe one another and what are we owed because we are made in the image of God. So defining justice 
as that accepting of a responsibility to meet someone else's rights. Um, and just because of who God made them to be. Mm-hmm. And again, that idea that justice and mercy are not different things, that justice is not this angry thing, but that it's something that we do to and for one another because we love them. And that's what God commanded us to do is to love God and to love our neighbor. Well, and the idea of, and this was different that for me than my upbringing, the idea of justice being the thing that we give to the oppressed mm-hmm. rather than the thing that we meet out on the oppressor. Right. Yeah. Growing up, justice and punishment were always like the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's not how the Lord is just. The Lord is just because he meets the needs of the oppressed and helps lift them up out of the depths. Not because he, and I mean, he does tear down the high as well. And scripture talks about that, but to be able to help everyone to be on equal footing. Yeah. It's interesting that that's your favorite. Mine, um, the one that stands out to me that, that I come back to often is a conversation. It should, it should surprise no one uh, <laughs> that it's a conversation with Joe Heschmeyer. Oh, of course. I mean, he's been on Joe the show awesome. so many times, uh, but really early on, maybe even the second or third time out of the 20 something he's been with us, <laughs> Uh, was the concept of what do we owe to one another in disagreement mm, mm-hmm. when when we are uh, completely opposed on opposite sides of a topic and when we have that level of disagreement there's a, a societal acceptance of vitriol in in the discourse mm-hmm. that is not becoming of us as Christians. Yeah. Right. Uh, because they will know, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And so often, even in disagreement, our disagreement is with other people who, with whom we share a common baptism. Mm-hmm. Right? These are other Christians. That was a conversation about charity and true charity in those discussions, which you have known me for a long time. <laughs> I have not always exemplified that that ability mm-hmm. to uh, to entertain opposing views and have difficult conversations without losing my ever living mind. <laughs> yes, that's true. I'm thankful to say that over it's been a while. I feel like since since that was a thing, but it was a thing, and so again, yeah, the way that the Lord has changed us in our lives and those refining. The rough edges off. Um, and when you look back and you realize how different the seasons have been before and now where we are. I can easily say with with extreme confidence that I have converted more in more uh, obvious ways since my confirmation as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. than I did up until that point of confirmation. Oh, 100%. Everyone, yes. everyone seems to think, oh, it's such a big hurdle <laughs> to become a Catholic and uh, to take that first initial step. And I look at it and say, it has been so much more challenging and more fulfilling mm-hmm. to become a Catholic in, <laughs> in all of the intervening years since. Oh, yeah. 100%. I, I agree Completely. And, you know, it's like when you first convert, there is that kind of really excited state (laughs) Um, that I know I'm sure that we 
did have. I think there was some bit of a sense of we have a lot to figure out here, mm-hmm. um, specifically because we went from a very Protestant liturgy to a very different liturgy that you, you had been leading the Protestant liturgy. And so recognizing I couldn't do that over here because mm-hmm. I don't know it well enough yet. Um, but then, yeah, just with the theology and the depth of what there is to learn and to know and to uncover of what it really is to be a Catholic. Mm -hmm. That's not all of the fluff that often gets majored on, even though it's really a minor thing, but that really solid, what is the faith? Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of settling into that a bit. And with more ways to go, I'm sure. <laughs> There's a, um, a phrase that you say when you're being confirmed. I profess and believe all that the Holy Catholic Church teaches, proclaims, and professes, professes to be revealed to be, by yeah. God. Um, something along those lines, something really close to that. <laughs> and uh, I, at one point in time, thought I was going to write uh, a blog article about that. I never got around to it, but... Um, the thought behind it is this. A lot of people maybe claim that the hard thing is to profess, right? Mm. Or or that you could just, that it's just blind obedience, right? Mm. I profess and believe. Um, I, I think that I profess and believe speaks to something more central and more difficult than blind obedience. Because I don't just profess it, I believe it. And in order to believe it, I have to appropriate it. And in order to appropriate it, I have to wrestle with it and come to understand it in some way. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't just about, oh, well, the church says it, so I'm going to profess it. I have to to struggle with that concept until such time as I can really say, yeah, I I believe that. Mm -hmm. Blind belief is never really belief because it's never really your own. Right. If all you're doing is repeating back what someone from on high has said, that's profession. Mm-hmm. And and profession has its place, yes? Sure. But but I profess and I believe all that the church teaches. And so in some way, looking into what the church teaches is also that retrospective. I'm going to look back. I'm going to wrestle with these ideas. I'm going to uh, to struggle to understand them until I do understand them so that I can move forward, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think to the, um, the 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 person who said to Jesus, uh, he says, "I'll do this for you. Uh, do you believe?" And he says, "I do believe. Help my unbelief." Right? Mm-hmm. That help my unbelief is that willingness to continue to engage and wrestle until such time as as it turns out to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I've got one last thing, and we don't have necessarily a whole lot of time here. I'm going to put links, by the way, to those two episodes up on our social media over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. My last thought here has to do with one other retrospective for the purpose of moving forward. And that's the idea of the daily examine. Mm. Even you could tie in examination of conscience to this as well, but that daily examine to say, where am I? Where did I fail? Where did I succeed? And what does that mean for tomorrow? Mm-hmm. 
it's so easy to to ignore where we've succeeded and where we failed and just coast. Just do the next day, right? Right. When I'm going to go to sleep, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that intentional practice of retrospective, I think, helps us to be more intentional in our growth. I know at least as a mom, and I've heard other moms express the similar thing, that when we finally get the kids to bed and things are kind of quieted down a little bit, and we actually make our way to bed ourselves, the guilt of the day comes in where, you know, oh, I could have done that bit better. I was too harsh with that one then. Did I do the right thing there? You know, and so that I, but those ideas can be very circular and only negative. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like this would also be helpful in that way of also what was good. What could I have done better? as well, because we all have those things. And then we're going to try again tomorrow. You know, it brings it into a hopeful place and not a, I am a terrible person kind of place. But with the examine, you're also giving that as an offering to God. Mm-hmm. And, and so a couple of things that happen with that, when you give that as the offering to God, it's no longer yours to hold mm-hmm. right now. It's now it's his to hold. And then you, get to focus on what he gives you back. Yeah. Well, and how beautiful is that? I mean, (laughs) being able to acknowledge, and this is something that just somewhat recently I've realized that I have been working on acknowledging is acknowledging that I'm not perfect, which is so silly because (laughs) it's a thing. But that idea, you know, of like, we all want, oh, the perfect family. Like we have a big family, therefore we are the perfect Catholic family. And how it's like the, the, the reality of who we are, who I am, who, what we struggle with and giving that to God who full well knows all of that stuff already. But, you know, somehow we kind of trick ourselves into like, well, I'm going to, you know, put on my best face for God. Like that (laughs) doesn't work (laughs) because he knows, he knows our failings and and he loves us anyway. (laughs) Intimacy is vulnerability. So being able to let that down and Mm -hmm. say, okay, this is who I am. I need that simple way is is a more intimate relationship with God right. than simply putting on the best face. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely right. We're talking today with my darling bride, Kristen Putnam. We're talking about a retrospective here over the last nine years of the show and and talking about retrospectives as a way to move forward. I want you to be involved in this retrospective. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on threads. The handles at step outside the walls. Do you have a favorite episode, something that has stood out to you over these last nine years that you want to share with us? Why don't you leave a comment there or post that link over on social? And uh, Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Of course, love. You can find all our archives, all nine years of them, over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, click that Patreon link to access a number of unbroadcast segments. Uh, Many of those are now available to the general public. And a few of them, uh, the, the most recent six months, are available exclusively to those who support the show through Patreon. You can learn more about how our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air and how to access those extra segments and other goodies right there, outsidethewalls.com. Click that Patreon link. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. Church history. 
That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from scripture comes from the book of Lamentations. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That reading comes from right in the middle of the book of Lamentations and is a powerful reminder of how even in our darkest moments, the power of remembrance and remembering the good works that God has done before for us and for those who came before us can strengthen our souls to continue on. Our reading from the Magisterium today comes from a homily by Pope Francis on the Feast of Corpus Christi in 2014. The Lord your God fed you with manna, which you did not know. These words from Deuteronomy make reference to the history of the Israelites, whom God led out of Egypt, out of slavery, and for 40 years led through the desert toward the promised land. Once established on the land, the chosen people attain a certain autonomy, a certain well-being, and run the risk of forgetting the harrowing events of the past— overcome thanks to God's intervention and to his infinite goodness. And so the scriptures urge the people to recall, to remember, to memorize the entire walk through the desert and the times of famine and desperation. The command of Moses is to return to the basics, to the experience of total dependence on God, when survival was placed in his hands so the people would understand that man does not live by bread alone but that man lives by everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Besides physical hunger, man experiences another hunger, a hunger that cannot be satiated with ordinary food. It's a hunger for life, a hunger for love, a hunger for eternity. And the sign of manna, like the entire experience of Exodus, also contains in itself this dimension— It was the symbol of food that satisfies this deep human hunger. Jesus gives us this food. Rather, he himself is the living bread that gives life to the world. His body is the true food in the form of bread. His blood is the true drink in the form of wine. It isn't simple nourishment to satisfy the body like manna. The body of Christ is the bread of the last times, capable of giving life, eternal life, because this bread is made of love. The Eucharist communicates the Lord's love for us, a love so great that it nourishes us with himself. 
a freely given love, always available to every person who hungers and needs to regenerate his own strength. To live the experience of faith means to allow oneself to be nourished by the Lord and to build one's own existence, not with material goods, but with a reality that does not perish, the gifts of God, His Word, and His body. That reading comes from a homily by Pope Francis on the Feast of Corpus Christi in 2014. And whether we are in the midst of despair and recalling God's former goodness or... We're in the midst of good times and remind ourselves of God's constant help. Remembering what's come before is the best way to move forward. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link to learn more. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.